0: All right, today the passage we're going to be reading from is Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers." not so the wicked. They are like chaff that blows, wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Thank you, Savannah. Good morning, everybody. You may be seated. You may be seated. It's good to see everyone. I have two drinks this morning. One is a LaCroix, and the other is a coffee. And so, don't judge me, all right. Uh, and if you think I'm cooler because I'm drinking a Lacroix on a Sunday morning, you're you're correct. I am, all right. Good, good, good. Well, this morning uh, is a is kind of an interesting Sunday morning because I'm teaching on something that I didn't necessarily plan to teach on. Um, I don't know, six or eight weeks ago when when we when we really landed on this sermon series. Uh, we're in a series called Core, which is all about the core beliefs of our church some of the beliefs that make uh, our church probably unique from other churches or uh, distinct is probably a better word. But, uh, and last week we were talking about the difference between two different streams of Christian belief that, not necessarily Christian belief, but two different streams of theological belief within uh, Protestant Christianity called Arminianism and Calvinism. And if you weren't here with us, it was a barn burner, I assure you. Uh, but uh, yeah, like, like usual. But... Uh, but we stumbled upon, I stumbled upon this kind of idea within that structure about the importance of prayer and what prayer is and, and how vital it is and how we think about it as Christians, and all of those types of ideas began, began swirling around in my head, and I came to this realization that if, if we're going to do a sermon series on core and we're going to think uh, about what we believe, we, we should probably attend just a slight bit more to the idea of prayer so what prayer is, how it functions what what we as Christians are called to do in and around this idea of prayer, and it was really uh, well I was personally impacted by this idea the of the importance of prayer in the lives of both individuals right in our own personal kind of uh, life as solitary individuals and our life as a corporate body what what role prayer should function, what role it should have in our lives, and so uh and so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to dig a little deeper into this idea of prayer, and we're going to use Psalm one as a as a as a roadmap, basically, for why prayer is important and how it should function, and and even a little bit of uh, a helpful tool in in our praying. So that's where we're going today. But before we get there, I just want to say that uh, we. I just want to emphasize again what Ashley said about um, we're starting up uh, prayer and fasting on Wednesdays over the noon hour. Um, it has been not always a consistent habit of mine, but a, a slightly general habit of mine to set aside that time during the week uh, for prayer and for fasting. And, and we uh, did that for, I don't know, probably eight or nine months when we first moved to church here, but we, we, we had fallen off. And uh, this summer, I would really like to see it become an emphasis again for us. And so, if you are free, if you do have the type of schedule that would allow you to be free for that hour, uh, I would encourage you to come. We'll have an hour where, uh, that, like Ashley said, that is a little come and go, and then at ten, at twelve thirty, we'll do fifteen to twenty minutes of corporate prayer. And if you've been with us before, um, that probably looks uh, a little different than what you've been around before. It's a little, slightly more guided and corporate. Uh, and then after that, you'll be free to. Uh, pray on your own. But, uh, but I think it's a really, really vitally important thing. And if you're not able to join us, that's fine, because you don't necessarily need to be physically with us in order to join us. You can also pray wherever you find yourselves, uh, in your seats, at your work, uh, or out and about, wherever you, wherever you find yourself this week. Know that uh, we will be here. We'll be here praying, and we'd love for you to join with us in whatever way you can. So that's from twelve to one uh, over the lunch hour, beginning on the thirteenth of June. All right, all right. So I just want to uh, I just want to begin by uh, pointing out and kind of seeing our talk today through this lens of this idea of going against the grain, going against the grain. We have woodworkers, any woodworkers in the auditorium today who understand who understand what I mean when I say going against the grain, right? If you run your hand one way across a, a grain of wood, it feels smooth, and if you run your way, hand another way off across a grain of wood, it feels rough, right? It could actually give you splinters in one direction. That's why we walk on the dock, just for the record. And the... Uh, and this idea of going against the grain happens to have a lot of resonance for us with the idea of prayer. I, I really do think, it, it, sometimes I, I look up these phrases that I want to use on either Wikipedia or in the dictionary to kind of make sure that I'm using them correctly, and I just looked up against the grain because I wanted to make sure there wasn't any kind of um, meaning behind it that I wasn't aware of, and I looked it up, and, and what it said on Wikipedia was this, uh, Contrary to what is expected, especially of behavior uh, that is different from what society expects. And I thought, okay, that's exactly kind of the idea that I'm trying to communicate, that prayer, the idea of prayer is something that is contrary to what we expect or what we want or or what even culture or society expects from us. That in many ways, there is a, there's a move in prayer that feels like it's counter to what we want to do and very often with the way that society works. And, you know, very often underneath uh, a definition like that, they then use that phrase in a sentence. And I thought, man, this sentence could be really helpful for us. It could show us kind of a little bit more about what this idea of going against the grain means. And this was the sentence that was un- underneath um, underneath the definition. It said, by going against the grain and going to work nude, you're making, <laughs> you make yourself a laughing stock. And I thought, that's not what I wanna communicate at all. <laughs> and why did the person who used that example go to such extreme extent? I don't, I don't necessarily know. Uh, so if that's the way you wanna go against the grain, I would tell you, don't do it, right? Going to going to work without clothes on is a bridge too far. We want to be countercultural, but not that countercultural. All right. You know, sometimes it's bad to go against the grain. Sometimes it's bad to go against the grain of society or what we want, but sometimes it is very, very good. And and when we talk about the subject of prayer, specifically the things that are true about prayer in our lives, the idea that it's important that we go against the grain of our own hearts at times and against the grain of society is very, very important. But the fact that we are, in some sense, going against the grain means that prayer is not always easy, that it's not always easy. Many of us, myself included, want to prioritize other things in our lives other than prayer, right? I would prefer to prioritize television, right? Some of us prefer to prioritize our cellular phones over prayer. We have a myriad of distractions in our time, don't we? We have a myriad of things that get in the way, and they all endeavor to pull us away from the importance of tending to our own, of tending to our own souls and attending to God in prayer, Right? On top of the fact that many of us simply uh, have a difficult time praying, on top of the fact that it just can be hard, it can be a slog at times, our, in our current cultural moment, there happens to be a lot of suspicion about prayer, right? About what it is and how it functions or, or, its, ab, or its value. This has come to the surface over the kind of arguments in our culture right now uh, over the, this, fr- this little phrase, this little turn of phrase called thoughts and prayers. Have any of you familiar with this? Lately, when we've experienced tragedies in our country, uh, and mostly political figures have offered up, usually on Twitter, their thoughts and prayers, they've received a kind of backlash from that, right? Time, so much so that Time Magazine ran a piece just a couple months ago that, titled, Why Thoughts and Prayers Are Causing Such a Controversy right? Why thoughts and prayers are calling t- such a controversy. And The Atlantic, another publication, as a rejoinder to that uh, article, wrote a piece called The Case for Thoughts and Prayers, right? We have this kind of cultural clash over this idea of prayer. What, what is its value? What's its significance? Why do we do it? The conflict stems from people uh, mostly frustrated with politicians who, uh, in their op- uh, in their desire to offer uh, condolence use thoughts and prayers, right? I'm, I'm offering up my thoughts and prayers after a tragedy of some kind, and and the the argument goes that they're frustrated with that sentiment because uh, they're offering up thoughts and prayers rather than actions, right? This is this is what this is what, what troubles people that that the, the the condolences that are offered in that vernacular are just a way of putting off real action that makes people's lives better. This is the argument, right? Some view this, these the thoughts and prayers as kind of a meaningless gesture, a meaningless gesture that's just offered as a replacement for real action. And sometimes it is a meaningless gesture, right? Sometimes it is. You can you can offer up a meaningless gesture at times. You can say, uh, "I well, well, I'll pray for you," and then you will not do it, right? How many of you have ever experienced that, right? Have you ever had a time where, oh, I'll be thinking about you, and then you don't think about you. You think about what's for dinner that night, right? This, this, it, it, is, it can be a meaningless gesture. And when it's offered up in that way, it is not valuable. But this hostility that people feel towards or about prayer that's kind of simmering in our culture now, I think is a slightly misguided it's not misguided because they think that gesture, that sentiment can sometimes be, uh, be wrongly applied, because I think sometimes it can. But I think it's misguided because biblically, prayer is the thing that forms us and that makes all the difference in our lives. Biblically, it is. This is the way that Tim Keller in his book on prayer puts it. He says, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change and the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things we ha- he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat, uh, finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we, do, uh, we need to do and be in life. But just because prayer is important does not mean that it is easy, correct? Just because prayer is important doesn't mean that it's easy. Tim Keller is the pastor who wrote this quote. He's one of the most prominent Christian thinkers in America today, and uh, and just a little bit before that quote he talks about the this kind of revolution of prayer that he had in his own life uh, a little while after he had cancer it was actually in the summer and he says he adds he he ch- changed or added these four elements to his prayer life now he said he added these things after he was a pastor of a large church and a prominent uh, pastor in the country he says one he began praying the psalms regularly which we'll talk about a little bit more today he spent time in thoughtful meditation between the re- reading the, his Bible and formal prayer time. He instituted both morning and evening prayer. And fourth, he began praying with greater expectation. And you, and you would think that a pastor of his prominence, right, uh, who's, uh, who's this diligent and, and wise, would do that, and that there would be, uh, that something would change, right? That there would be, a, there would be some type of forward momentum in his, in his personal life. And this is what he says. You would think that a pastor of his stature, there would be significance to what he did. And, and there was, but this is what he says. He says, the changes took some time to bear fruit, but after sustaining these practices for about two years, I began to have a breakthrough. <laughs> two years. Thank you, Tim Keller for for encouraging us all with uh, in our prayer lives 2 years, right? Some of us have kids that aren't 2 years old and we feel like we've been with them our whole lives, right? <laughs> 2 years is a long time. Prayer is the, it, engaging in the life of prayer really is to go against the grain, isn't it? It really is It's to go against the grain of our kind of quick-fix culture, of our packed schedules, of our endless extracurricular activities. It's to go against the grain of general cultural suspicion about prayer. And it is oftentimes to go against the grain of our very own false desires the false things that our hearts want, that they should not want. We, ha- we must go against the grain of those things to enter into the place of prayer with any, level of, um, with any level of vitality and genuineness. But time and time again, Christians are confronted with this one reality, this one reality, and it's what Keller said, that prayer is the key to everything we need to do and be in this world. To neglect the place of prayer is... To the soul, what neglecting food is to the body. And so today, I want to help us. I want to help us. I want to help us gain a vision for prayer, in hopes to put, and I hope to put a few tools in your hands. To, that will make it a little bit easier, that maybe will give you a little bit of fresh energy and fresh vision to find the place of prayer as something that isn't just something I do when things get the, the worst they can possibly be, or when I'm, when I'm on my last leg, or when uh, that I have that family member who has a terminal illness, that prayer becomes a regular, a routine part of our lives that, tra- that changes and transforms us that actually makes all the difference in our lives, that, that carries us along in this life, that buoys us and that actually changes things for us, that actually changes things for us. Not because, like we talked about last week, God is a God who just needs so many prayers in order for him to do things for us, but rather because God is a God of participation that longs for us to come alongside him and participate with all that he is doing in the world. This is the value of prayer, the value of prayer. And I think, I think, if we do, if, if we can commit to this idea of prayer, if we can commit our own lives, that we can move against the grain of our desires and of our cultural, and of the assumptions of our culture, then we can find a place of vitality and hope there. We can find a place of, a, a vital place of prayer in our own lives. It's not easy. It's not easy. Most valuable things are not. But it's worth it but it's worth it. But we're we're also not left alone in this endeavor of prayer. We're not left alone to just kind of muddle through it ourselves. We are provided uh, a blueprint. We are provided incredible tools by God for how to actually go about the business of praying regularly and praying well. And specifically, we are given the Psalms. We're given the Psalms. Have you ever thought about that? That the Psalms are 150 prayers. They're music prayers. They're if, and if you, if you uh, are a big fan of the harp and lyre, you can go get one and you can, uh, you can try to uh, reenact what that music actually sounded like. There was one, uh, I had an Old Testament professor that was really fond of these uh, musical reenactments of what the Psalms might have actually sounded like, and he would play them for us in a class, and they're horrible. They're horrible. <laughs> But, but, so, should I say that? It's just a weird harp and lyre music. It's nothing you, it's nothing you would, act. it's nothing the kids would get down to today. But, but it is, but it is, uh, but the, 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 what the Psalms are actually are of, of real and true value to us. And as we look at them today, specifically looking at them through the lens of Psalm 1, through the lens of Psalm 1, I think we can, uh, we can, we can glean some things. So a, a few just uh, notes about the Psalms before we get into it. There are 150 Psalms. They're uh, separated into five different books in the Old Testament. The, the The Psalms begin the first section of the Old Testament that are commonly called the Writings. So you have the so you have the Torah, right? You have the Law, you have the Prophets, and then you have the Writings. And the Psalms traditionally begin the section of the of the Old Testament called the writings. Now, we don't often think about this when we read the Psalms, but the Psalms are ordered. They're structured, right? They're not in, they're not just in chronological order. They aren't 150 Psalms that were just kind of cobbled together. They were a collection of Psalms that were purposely ordered in the way that they are ordered, right? That they were put together, that they were compiled, and they they were intentionally set up with a kind of flow and direction to them, Psalm 1 and 2 and Psalm 1 that we'll be looking at today were intentionally the first two psalms in the psalms to kind of prepare us for uh, what they are and kind of uh, lead us into the psalms with an understanding, with some structure. Now, uh, one thing that I think Christians often forget about when we read the psalms or, or when we think about prayer in any way, shape, or form is that God gave us 150 prayers. He gave us prayers. Yes, He gave us these prayers through uh, through Hebrew people, right, who were inspired to write down these words, but these are prayers that were given to us by God. And very often when we think about prayer, we don't think about the fact that God gave us prayers, and those prayers were structured in such a way as to teach us how to pray, right? Why else would we have them? If and, But so often, particularly Christians of uh, the more evangelical persuasion neglect the Psalms as a means of teaching them how to actually pray. We neglect them. We look away from them, like they're just kind of—I don't know. I don't know why we do this. I'm not saying you, but we, as a general evangelical church, look away, look away from them as uh, unvaluable. And I think as we as we dive back into the Psalms, what we actually find is that the Psalms are there, and they teach us they instruct us they give us they give us a form and a structure from which to pray they teach us the vernacular the language of prayer in a way that is so so valuable they were there to meant and were meant and are meant to teach us how to pray and yet so many Christians today neglect them as a means or as a as a guide to praying and so what i've found in my own life and this tends to be my practice is that the that the psalms are the most helpful possible way to teach me or to at least keep my mind focused as I pray. And so today I just have a couple observations from the Psalms to just maybe help you a little bit of seeing what the Psalms are and hopefully help you uh, begin the process of praying the Psalms. All right? All right. So observation number one, the Psalms help us get out of our own way. The Psalms help us get out of our own way. Have you ever sat down to pray and all you could think of to pray about was yourself? right? Lord, would you please help me at work today? Because I really need some help. Lord, would you please help me get that parking spot? Lord, would you please help me get a good deal at the grocery store? Lord, would you please help me lose a few pounds, right? When, when we sit down to pray, sometimes the only thing uh, that we can think to pray about is ourselves. And you know why this is? Because you are yourself, right? Right? You don't have any other self to pray that is most present to you, right? And so if you're not guided, if you're not directed, if you haven't, if you haven't disciplined your heart and your mind to some extent, you're going to naturally just pray selfish prayers. This is just true. And while this is naturally, this is something we naturally do, it is not something we were intended to do. This is how Eugene Peterson says how the Psalms help us in this way. He says, the psalmists are not interested in human potential. They are passionate about God, the obedience-shaping, will-transforming, sin-revoking, praise-releasing God. They are not concerned about you or me, and this is a good thing, because I worry about myself all the time, right? I don't know about you, and when I come into the place of prayer, you know what I don't want to think about anymore? Myself. I want to think about God, and the psalmist in Psalm 1 helps us step into that place, beginning in uh, verse 2, this is what it says, but who's, but those whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditate on his law day and night, right? Their delight, notice, is in the, what? The law of the Lord. The The thing that they're meditating on is not their own problems, right? It's on the law of the Lord. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whether, uh, Whatever they do prospers. You are most sturdy. You are most properly functioning, least likely to wither, and most likely to prosper when you are not thinking about yourself. This is true. This is true. It is when we meditate on the words of the Psalms, when our hearts are guided to God in prayer and away from ourselves when our hearts and minds are filled to the brim with the words of God, both day and night, that things are best for us. We all know what it's like to lay our head on our pillow, worried about ourselves. And I think many of us know the difference of laying our head on our pillow and thinking about uh, the goodness of God or meditating on something, uh, or something lovely or beautiful and know that one of, those, one of those situations is anxiety-inducing and one of them is freeing, one of them is freeing. If you are experiencing a problem in your life, prayer should not lead you to just constantly dwell on that problem, right? Prayer should lead first and foremost to the one who is able to deal with said problem. This is what prayer should do, to get God's perspective on a given issue and not our own. And praying the Psalms helps us to get out of the way of our own, of our own praying and be about God's business. But if we step into the place of prayer unprepared, we will inevitably fall back on the thing that is most familiar to us, and that is ourselves and our own problems. I don't know about you, but the Psalms, when I read them in this way, when I pray them, when I use them as a guide for my prayer, help me to free myself from my own worries and concerns. They help me to get on an agenda that is not my own, and they help me to put... Uh, and, they, and that helps me to put my life in perspective, right? To put my life in perspective. Because if it's all about my life, so if it's all about my worries, if it's all about my concerns, things feel very big, right? But if it's all about a God who is quite a bit bigger than those things, then those things can grow small in comparison. So that's one. The second thing that praying the Psalms teach us is to pray consistently, to pray consistently. I think, is that wrong up there? Constantly. Well, it's consistently, so you can make a mark there. One of, the, one of the truest things that you will discover when you attempt to pray on a regular basis is that very often prayer is not easy. This is what you'll find. It is not easy. It actually comes easier for some people than others, but our minds do tend to run, don't they? Uh, when I was in high school, uh, probably about 15 years old, I really decided I'm, I'm going to be one of these people who prays. And so what I did was I said, I'm going to pray for 45 minutes this morning. So I would, uh, I would wake up, I'd go have breakfast, I would come back to my room, I would uh, put my Bible on my bed, and I would lay down on my face, and I would try to pray for 45 minutes. And I would pray, and I would pray, and I would go, oh, okay, that's, that has to be 45 minutes. And then I would get up, and I would realize it's been five minutes. <laughs> it's been five minutes. And I would go, okay, wow, that, took a, that felt like a really long time. I think I've, I'm, I've run out of everything I could pray for, but i got to pray for 45 minutes. So I would lay back down, and I'd pray for five more minutes, and that five minutes would feel like 50 minutes, right? And then I would really grit my teeth, right? And you know what would happen at that point? My mind would begin to wander, (laughs) and I would start thinking about swim practice or how pretty Ashley looked that last Sunday, or like all manner of other things. This is I uh, I could I would I would think about nearly anything other than prayer. But I would lay down at least on my floor for for forty five minutes, and then I would get up feeling kind of bad about myself. In college, I would do the same thing at times because when you're in Bible college and you're preparing to do this for a living. Uh, you're told that you need to pray a lot. And so I would go into the, into the prayer room a lot of uh, evenings and try to pray for an hour. And usually one out of every five times I would fall asleep about 15 minutes in, right? And I would sleep, <laughs> I would fall asleep. Um, this is what happens when we pray in, pray in an undirected way. This is what we pray uh, in an inconsistent way. And do you know why we were given the Psalms? Because This is what all humans do, right? If we're not guided, if we're not directed, if we don't have some help, we're just going to end up falling asleep. We're just going to end up having these kind of undirected, unguided prayers. And the Psalms come alongside us and help us to pray functionally or effectively. Humans are not meant to pray just kind of extemporaneously, sitting in a dark room for 45 minutes. This was not how we were created to function. The Psalms were created to be a kind of guide for us. This is what I do now. Can I have my phone? This is what I do now, just for a little helpful reference. I have this little app on my phone. It's called BCP. It's just the Book of Common Prayer. It uh it's the it's the prayer book that the Anglicans use, and they've split the Psalms up in such a way as that you can read through them twice a year. If you read every day, you read through all the psalms twice a year. And so because I like to do that and I like that help, I just do that. And so in the mornings that you see right here today. Uh, The Psalms are Psalm 63, 1 through 8, 9 through 11, and Psalm 98, and then Psalm 103. They break them down because some Psalms are big and some Psalms are little, and you don't know. If you just read one Psalm a day, you get to Psalm 119, and you're like, oh, man, this is a long day, right? How do I pray through all of this? Uh, But this helps you kind of break it down. So what I do is I just click on that, and I work my way through a psalm. Some, I usually save the second one or two if I'm having a good day for the evening before I go to bed and I work through a psalm at night. But uh, this, this is the primary way I pray now, And you know what? Sometimes it goes for 45 minutes, sometimes it goes for 10 minutes. But the reality is is that for, those, for that time, I'm directed, I'm focused. And God leads me in places away from that psalm from time to time when I'm praying. He sometimes leads me to a care or concern. He sometimes brings something to my heart or to my mind that I need to pray that might not be directly, directly related to that psalm. But for the time that I am praying that psalm, I'm focused. I'm directed. My mind doesn't wander. I'm, I've I'm been given something to do, and it is so very helpful. It is so very helpful. And the other thing I do is that, that my prayers inevitably, like I said, aren't about me, right? Because I'm praying the Psalms. And what you learn from reading the Psalms is the language of prayer, the vernacular of prayer, a way of praying that is divinely inspired even, because those words, we believe, are that way. You know, the, reading the Psalms in this way, it focuses our minds, it, it directs us in a way and uh, it, helps us to, it helps us to see and pray consistently because every morning when I wake up, I know that I have a psalm waiting for me. I know that I have a psalm waiting for me to pray, right? There are mornings, I don't know, I don't know how this happens for you, but uh, there are some days you don't want to pray, right? And prayer is uh, in and of itself a discipline. It is not something that we want to do most days. It just isn't but it is something that we must discipline our heart towards. It's, it's like lifting weights or going for a run or a bike ride. The only way you see the dividends is if you do it sometimes when you don't want to, right? Otherwise, you're just adrift. Your life is just, you're like, you're, you, are, you are a slave to your own wants and desires, and we all know that our, our wants and desires are twisted in ways that will make us do things and be things that we don't actually ultimately want for ourselves, right? No one wants to be a slave to their immediate impulses. We want to be slaves to, to things that we know are for our ultimate good. This is why dieting stinks, but we do it, right? Because ultimately, uh, it, that, that type of consistency in our lives, uh, it disciplines us, it focuses, us, and it makes us better people. And this is why praying consistently through the Psalms is so helpful for us. It is so helpful for us. So if you're not the type of person who wants to go download an app called the Book of Common Prayer and look for the Psalms, there's other ways to break the Psalms up. This week we're going to post uh, some resources for you on our website, and I'm saying this publicly so that Ashley reminds me to do it on Tuesday. Uh, but, uh, but I have, a, I have a, a bunch of resources for you that we can post on the website if you're interested in what it looks like to pray the Psalms consistently. Like I said, you could, I, I know people who try to read through the Psalms uh, every month. Those people are a little ambitious. Like I said, I think twice a year at least is very, very helpful. There is no thing you will ever encounter in your life. There's no tragedy. There is no joy. There is no struggle that you will ever encounter in your life that the Psalms don't address that the psalms don't address they give us a vo- they give us a vocabulary they give us a vernacular for the for the life that we experience and they allow us to experience those things through the lens of prayer through the lens of God's vision on those things not our own and that is inordinately freeing it is incredibly freeing and compelling and so i would encourage you if you struggle to pray which is all of us right if you uh if you find it difficult at times if you, if you uh are just all constantly looking for the next little tiny devotional that will that will help to kind of spur you on to prayer right i'm not saying devotionals are bad but i'm saying we have a structured devotional called the psalms that should that can function as the as the core as the center of our praying of our devotional life as as followers of jesus and so i would uh invite you to lean into that i would invite you to lean into that in the coming weeks and like i said we'll uh we'll put it on the website and we'll put it in the weekly news this week. All right? All right. Good. So uh, that is the Psalms. The other thing that I just want to pay, that I just want to bring to your attention, just as a helpful thing, uh, is morning and evening prayer. Morning and evening prayer. Uh, traditionally in the, in the, the church, there wasn't, who's ever heard of a quiet time? This is this is the type of language that was spoken about when I was growing up a lot. And it's not bad language, it's totally appropriate language. Um, but in a quiet time, what uh, we were, you're encouraged to do is wake up, usually early in the morning, but sometimes at night or sometimes in the middle of the day, whenever you have time and, and uh, spend an extended period of time in prayer and in Bible reading and um, communicating with God. And this is a good thing. This is a good thing. It gets, if you do it in the morning, it gets your day off on a good foot. If you do it in the evening, uh, it closes your day in a good way. But what I have found and what many Christians throughout all of Christian history have found is that um, having just one time of day that's maybe a little longer is difficult, actually. It's difficult. It's difficult to try to set us, very few of us have like 45 minutes or an hour or even 30 minutes in the morning or in the middle of our day where we can do something like this. And so, uh, one encouragement I would have for you is to integrate a time of both morning and evening prayer, morning and evening prayer. I do this by, uh, by the Psalms, right? I split them up between morning and evening. Uh, the reason is because I can, I can do this in like 10 minutes at night before I go to bed, right? I can read a Psalm, I can pray through it, and it's good. And in the morning, when, I'm, when sometimes I have a little bit more time and other times I don't, uh, uh, it also provides an opportunity for prayer. And uh, by bookending your day in this way, by bookending your day in this way, it helps us to focus in on the things that are truly valuable. If you begin and end your day uh, in the place of prayer, if you, if you begin and end your day in, in this particular way, what, what, in, a, in a focused or directed way, uh, what happens is that uh, your heart begins to fall into the rhythm of God's grace. It really does. If you, if you can focus your mind in that way, and so my encouragement to most people in in this endeavor is to not try to spend thirty minutes and thirty minutes, maybe not even spend ten minutes and ten minutes. Maybe ten minutes and ten minutes is good, but uh, uh, do your praying and move on. Do your praying and move on. That sounds like a strange thing for a pastor to say, doesn't it? Uh, because um, God doesn't give us. Uh, brownie points for doing this. And God definitely doesn't give us brownie points for you extending the amount of time that you pray every day. God isn't like, oh man, he did 15 minutes today and not 35. I'm really frustrated with him or her right? This is not how God thinks. It's how we think God thinks, right? Because we're, we're merit-based people and we think we need to earn God's favor. But the reality is, is this, it has nothing to do with whether God likes you or not. This has everything to do with your own heart, right? And the person you're becoming. And regular times of prayer are far more important. Regularly putting yourself within the context of God's rhythmic, rhythmic love and grace in your day will, will uh, be far more helpful to you than anything, right? As you put yourself in the place of prayer. Now, uh, this is not always an easy thing to do, and like I said, it can sometimes be difficult. But, but if you do it consistently and over time, if you can, uh, if you can get out of your own way, if you can learn the language of prayer in a way that can spur you on, it can be so, so rewarding. So, so rewarding. It is not about earning God's favor. It is not about. Uh, pleasing Him. It is is about partnering with Him to see His kingdom come in the earth. It is about uh, partnering with Him to see His will be done in and through you. It is about becoming, it is about becoming everything that God has created you to be. If you want to be a less angry person, if you want to be a less selfish person, if you want to be a less self-centered person, all of that begins in the place of prayer. It begins in that place. It really and truly does. Prayer turns out to be the key to everything we want to become and do. It really and truly is in the christian faith and so this morning, as we conclude uh, our our service and as we uh, come to the table this morning, and if the band could come up what uh, what I just want to emphasize for us, what I just want to reiterate for us was one more time is that if you are not a praying person, and this is not an indictment of anyone. This isn't something you've practiced in your life. It's not something that come, has come naturally to you. Maybe you're in this place, and uh, the faith is something that's fairly new to you, or it's something that was handed down to you from your parents, and it's just not something that, is, uh, that you do that all that often. I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. There is an invitation here today to begin to step into the rhythms of God's grace, to begin to build these rhythms or habits into your life. And I promise you, over time, they will change you. They will change you for the better. They will change you for the better. And so uh, my, hope, my hope is that uh, we, have a, we will continue to become a church who is defined by the, these regular rhythms of prayer that we would be changed or transformed by these regular rhythms of prayer. You know, I was reading uh, a book this week, and uh, the author was talking about the value of what I'm doing right now, preaching, which is interesting to read a book about that. But uh, he was talking about why this is valuable, and he said, you know, I have no faith, I have no belief in the power of one sermon to change anybody's life. And I thought, wow, that's kind of a negative view of things. That makes you feel real good as I spend numerous hours a week getting ready to do this. Uh, And he said, but I do have a lot of faith in the the compounded nature of uh, the routine and regular uh, uh, preaching of the Word of God. That as that happens over time, right, through over time, it, it changes people. And I find this to be true, right? How, how many sermons in my life do I actually remember, both of my own and of other ones that were, were given and I was in your position? Very few, very few. But the, the compound nature of those messages transforms us. It, you know what I mean? You don't remember every time you ever worked out, but it's the, the amount of exercise you get that ultimately uh, creates the level of physical health that you have in your body, right? It's the compound nature of these things that transforms us. And the same is very true of prayer. The same is true of prayer. And the same is true of communion, this thing we're about to do this morning, this thing we're about to do this, this morning. You know, communion is an act, right? It's a, it's both a symbolic and spiritual act where we come to the table again to reaffirm that we follow Jesus, that we believe in Jesus, that we identify with our hearts, with our minds, with the person of Jesus, that we believe that he was crucified and died, that he rose again, and that he's coming again, right? This is what we do in the act of communion. And you might not remember every time you've ever received communion, right? I, I don't. But it's that routine act. It's the compound nature of this act in in conjunction with the, with the Spirit of God that transforms us. That transforms us. And so this morning... Along these lines of prayer, we want to do one other thing. And that other thing is that uh, we want to create a space where after you receive communion, if you're in this place this morning and you do want to receive prayer, we, we want to create a space for that. So uh, on either sides of the stage, over here and over here, uh, a couple members of our leadership team will be available. Ashley and I will be available uh, to pray with you, to pray with you. If you have uh, anything that you're concerned about, anything that's been weighing you down, anything that you feel burdened by, anything that uh, you just generally, maybe you just genuinely want prayer for no particular reason, Uh, we want to be here and available to you. And we want to do this in conjunction with communion because what we know what we know is that communion is not a single solitary act that it's a communal act it's something we do together as the body of Christ and prayer together as the body of Christ is a very uh, a very appropriate response to the receiving of communion at at the, at the Lord's table at the Lord's table all right all right so that will be available for us this morning so writing to the corinthians church writing to the corinthian church in first corinthians 11 says this for i received from the lord that which i also deliver to you that the lord jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this is the cup in the new covenant of my blood do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, At Grace Community, we practice an open communion, which means that you don't need to be a member of our church in order to receive. We just ask that you follow Jesus with your life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And this morning, as we come to your table, God, would you remind us again that you invite us into this beautiful, beautiful relationship. Christianity, that you invite us into this relationship with you, that you invite us into uh, the table to remember and to commune with you, and you invite us into the place of prayer, God, to be transformed by you. Father, we want to be a people who partner with God, who partner with God to see that his kingdom come and his will be done in all different areas of our lives. We want to see the kingdom of God take up residence in our own hearts and in our vicinity, God. And so this morning, we ask that you would help us to do that. That you would help us uh, to value the place of prayer. That you would help us to find uh, find the time and the energy and the focus. That you would help us to find the tools that we need in order to make uh, consistent and disciplined uh, prayer uh, an integral part of our daily lives. So, Father, uh, we love you, and we ask that as we receive uh, communion today, that you would impact us with your spirit, that you would remind us again of the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross, and you would give us that blessed hope, that assurance, that that same Jesus is coming again to put everything right. We pray it all in that name, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So the table is open this morning.